0: Hey, thanks so much for joining with us wherever you are and whomever you are with as we gather in this way uh, to celebrate and work through the scriptures in the context of Maundy Thursday. Uh, Monday, Thursday is not a term that you're going to read about in the scriptures. Neither Monday nor Thursday, I believe, even shows up in the scriptures. The etymology comes to us from the Middle English or the Old French, it uh, comes from the Latin mandatum, which means commandment. It's taken from John chapter 13 as Jesus is delivering his last words with his closest friends, with his disciples, and he says this A new commandment, mandatum, that I give to you that you love. One another. And so it's within these last few moments we're going to look at these last few moments of Jesus together. Let me just go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for your scriptures. Father, we thank you for their intention to mold us and shape us, to invite us to become more like you. And in this holy week, in this season where we are particularly aware of you, your death and your resurrection, Father, we ask that we ourselves would walk into similar circumstances, that promised resurrection that you have for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Within this Heart and Soul series, we are acknowledging that God wants and invites less of us, less of us in large moments, and instead seems willing and desiring more of us in the common and in the unremarkable moments. Life that happens as it happens. We, we try to confront that and challenge that as a church even as we work through our community group season, having meals together, communing together, the actual practice of communing. Now this is not to say that normal, which God invites us to, is easy. Much of it rather is, is really difficult. Many things God says and has for us are difficult. They are hard. Think of John chapter 6 where many disciples, it says, leave the side of Jesus. This is why we return to and preach the ways, habits, and practices of Jesus because they don't necessarily come naturally to us. And when we encounter things that are not natural to us or when there are indeed difficult dynamics offered to us by the grace of God, we can rest assured that God is determined not to harm us, but rather to make us come alive. And what we're looking at now and tomorrow, uh, today is Monday, Thursday, tomorrow is Good Friday, what we're looking at are the last moments of Jesus. There's a principle, the law of the last. If you know you're going to see somebody for the last time, you're not just going to say something random. You're not going to just kind of come up with it at the the last moment, but rather you're going to put time and energy and effort and thought into what you're going to share. If you're just walking out the door to go to the grocery store, something's going on. Yeah, you just, hey, see you later, whatever. But we understand that these last moments of Jesus's life with his friends this evening on the cross tomorrow evening, Jesus is fully aware that these are his last moments. And so we can only consider, we can only expect that God would put prayerful, thoughtful considerations into what words he shares with us. So if you turn within your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, this is the passage, this is the moment that we're looking at this evening. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined a table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This, of course, stands as an undergirding, a footer, if you will, for our faith in terms of practicing communion the bread and the cup, the Last Supper. It's important to note that God is using a pre-existing habit necessary for survival to intertwine His presence, His power, and His people. It makes me consider, of course, the moment in Luke chapter 19 is Jesus is walking through a town. He looks up and sees Zacchaeus in a tree and he offers and gives invitation for Zacchaeus to come down and have dinner with him. This is not just a random dinner. This is the language of transaction. This is why all those in that moment in Luke 19 are just flummoxed by the invitation because it's not just a meal. There's a language of exchange, a relational transaction that takes place in these moments. We are in all respects a forgetful creation, but God, according to Christ's words, which we just read, had an earnest desire to speak something into his disciples and to us today. For us to remember our redemption, recall our relationships to, with, And for each other. Wolfgang Simpson writes of this moment, writes of this practice, and I've shared this before, but I wanna do it again here. Speaking of the first followers of Jesus, he says this He says, they meet to eat. When Jesus taught people, it usually involved meeting them in their homes, eating and drinking whatever they offered. Typically, the teaching of Jesus was right at the table over a meal, not just after meal, but surrounded by children and visitors not in an artificial seminary setup, but in a real-life situation. Can I add just a tangential thought that God, in fact, thrives in the real. He shrinks in the contrived. Honesty, availability is oxygen to the Holy Spirit. This is why when we do not have a practice confession, when we do not carry ourselves with honesty and integrity, this is why God has a difficult time, even the creator of the universe has a difficult time of bringing fruit in our lives because we are withholding honesty, therefore withholding oxygen that the Holy Spirit needs to bear fruit in our lives. Simpson continues, the Lord's Supper, which we just read, was a substantial supper with a symbolic meaning, not a symbolic supper with a substantial meaning. Just think about it. Who we eat with is critical to our social development and our identity. This is why we don't just walk into a restaurant and plop down next to somebody. (laughs) This is why if we were sitting somewhere eating with a loved one or eating with our family, if someone just walked in and sat down and started eating with us, it would be weird. It would be, you know, wait, what's happening right now? Because who we eat with even at the core of who we are, we understand is critical to our social development and our identity. This is a course is spoken of by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, as he's breaking down the practice of communion. And it's all about looking into the church at Corinth and how they ate with one another. And some came and sat down and ate and didn't wait for others. And some people were drinking too much. And some people were doing this. And some people were doing that. The whole thing is a mess because they're not actually sitting together and eating together and talking together. The practice of communion. Again, something that we try to confront in our community group season. Turn with me over to John chapter 13, which is another frame of the very same moment, the Last Supper. I want to work through these verses, this frame of it together. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Now, I will encourage you. I hope that you've been able to gather with family, with friends, maybe even your community group. Maybe you shared a meal before or you're, sh- you're going to share a meal after and you can converse and, and talk about these things. Also, we're going to be looking at foot washing. These are the moments that Jesus shared with his disciples. And I would encourage you, challenge you, perhaps maybe you want to enter into this moment, uh, foot washing. And so finding a basin and finding some towels. Uh, Again, difficult, awkward, all of those things. The reality is uh, God invites us to them. I know that I have been invited into uh, foot washing experiences. My first one was at a a student ministry meeting where someone started preaching on a foot washing. I started looking around nervously and realized, oh my goodness, he's coming for me. He's going to wash my feet. I tried to come up with every reason I could to get out of that place because I was just immensely sweating. It was an incredibly awkward moment. But as I submitted to it and we sat with one another in the crowded church gathering, Um, something incredible was exchanged too because the reality of serving others always bears fruit. Now in this moment in John chapter 13 as we're going to get into and the other Last Supper experiences in the scriptures, foot washing is not like it is today. It's not random. It's, It's common in Jesus' day. Even still in many places around the world, similar habits are still engaged practically. But also and more demonstratively, for the conveyance of honor. There's a practical side of it to be sure. Largely, people were walking barefoot in Jesus' day. Maybe they had a loose sandal. Muck, mire, worn callous feet were the norm. There came a saying by the sages and the rabbis that would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi because you were living a life so closely linked to your rabbi, you were following them and that which they walked on was getting on who you were. And so we understand the action and the experience, the practice of foot washing is not uncommon. But Jesus here, Jesus is the guest of honor. And so while the action of foot washing is not uncommon, the way that it unfolds and it unpacks is completely unheard of. So we see once again, Jesus doing something with the normal, doing something that not only seems, but is very much different, different than appropriate, different than expected, out of order, upside down from what the world would consider. It's not too strong to even call it wrong in the scandalous sense. And let's not remember that as Jesus enters into this moment, it's not random. Even as we read from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, I have earnestly desired for this moment. We're not reading about something random here. We're reading about an earnest desire that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has and shares with his closest friends. John chapter 13 verses 1 through 3. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that this hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, verse three, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. All of what I'm going to share this evening is awkward. It's difficult. Most of our lives are filled with awkwardness and difficulties but it begins with this truth even as I'll read it again. Jesus knowing that the father had given all things in his hands that he had come from God and was going back to God. You see it begins your journey, our circumstance, it begins with firmly understanding that God is at the center and we and everything else revolve around his presence. Verses four and five Jesus rose up from supper. He laid aside his outer gar- garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Verse five Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Again, a very normal interaction but done in an abnormal circumstance in an abnormal way because Jesus is the guest of honor somebody should have been washing his feet and so Jesus forever displays when you have any authority because he is the one in authority everybody was there to hear from him to receive from him when you have any authority when you're speaking of the way of the Christ Jesus shows us that you are to entirely embrace servanthood the scriptures say he takes the outer garment off and takes a towel and ties it around his waist. He girded himself. Let me speak to some spouses this evening, some some wives and some husbands. It's not your spouse's job to make you a servant. If you have authority to speak into your spouse's life, I would suggest to you that it is your opportunity and your invitation alone to become a servant to your spouse. It's not their job to tell you to serve them. Parents, As you love and come alongside your children, it's your opportunity to serve them in their future and serve them in what they are walking into. Young people, it's not your parents' job to command you to honor them. Of course, they can point you to any place in the scriptures that would encourage that and remind you of that. But it's your opportunity as a child to come alongside and serve your parents. If you are an employee, if you are an employer, if you have some relationship to people in your life, it is not somebody else's job to make you a servant. According to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is our opportunity and our opportunity alone to choose to become a servant. Now, as Jesus is going around, as we just read, he poured the water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, wiped them with the towel, and he was wrapped around him. And he was going around, and you can just see him around the disciples and going to one, to another, to another, to one. And then we get to Peter. And Peter always has something to say. Verse six, and I'm going to read a few more verses here. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Remember, up to this point, everybody's like kind of in awe. You would imagine they're kind of shocked that Jesus is doing this. Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it's completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said not all of you are clean. When he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garments, resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We hear this time and again in the Gospels. The reality of knowing something versus doing something. And we, much like Peter, don't understand what is going on here. We misunderstand heaven's paradoxes because, quite frankly, we don't live in heaven. We're, we're not to that place yet. Can I get an amen? We are not perfect. We are not all fully redeemed. We exist on earth and we are inundated with either or, right, wrong, us versus them. And God forever encourages and challenges us. All toward a both and reality. Thinking that is dualistic. Uh, Scripturally speaking, this means being able to handle glory and suffering at the same time. Faith and stewardship, not as opposing principles, but ingredients in the same reality. Mercy and truth. Sinners and redeemed. Here we have Christ the King exemplifying Christ the Servant. John chapter 13, a little further down, verses 31 through 35. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me. And just I said to you, now I will also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. God does not create authority to control. God does not create authority to lord over. He creates authority so we can love one another in relationships, so we can serve. And here we see this in the scriptures, in the Last Supper, in these last moments that Jesus has with his disciples. God doesn't serve his disciples because it's some new revelation. He does it because it's ignored. It's bypassed. turn with me over to Philippians chapter 2, our last scripture for this evening. Verses 1 through 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with the God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. And we seem to focus on the next portion of the verse, but it's not that Jesus was obedient to the point of death, like death is the ultimate sacrifice, but that obedience seems to be the centering point for Jesus. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ makes it clear to us, makes it clear to his disciples, his closest friends in his last moments. The more power, the more authority that one has, the bigger the role, the bigger the, the greater the responsibility. The more wonderful the opportunity to love others practically And to serve. At this time, I would challenge you all. Maybe you want to enter into this practice of foot washing. You don't need to do that if you've got a thing with feet or it's, hey, we're still coming out of COVID. Christoph, we're not sure of how that's going to play into it, whatever. You don't need to do a foot wash. And again, that was the culture that Jesus was in. That was the normal reality. Maybe you wanna sit with someone and have a conversation. Maybe you wanna give them a, a thank you card and a gift card and talk through to them. Show them your conveyance of honor and appreciation. Maybe spouses, you wanna share a massage with one another and, and have an intimate conversation about what you appreciate, how you're present for them and how, and, and maybe ask them, how can you be further present for them? Find what is within your normal culture of the day and serve somebody in that. Let me leave you with this benediction. May we be a people who are mindful of Christ's death, his sacrifice of his own volition for us. May we be served by Christ and may we serve others with him. May we take the invitation of awkward, difficult, normal moments and discover the transformation and resurrection that God has for us. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.